you already know what time it is. Welcome back into the NFL with AJL, episode 46. We are live on a Friday. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here with me tapped in on the show. Wherever you're watching the show live, please make sure to drop a like on the stream. Share the stream with someone that you know might enjoy the show tonight. Subscribe on YouTube as you guys are fantastic at. Make sure we get the following on YouTube up as always. Get in the chat. Get in the comments. Let me guys, let me know what you guys are thinking about the show this evening. As always, please make sure to follow us on all social media platforms. The QR code on the corner of the screen will give you every bit of that. At the NFL with AJL on all social media and podcast platforms. Hashtag the NFL with AJL if you want to catch every bit of content also everywhere. Hope everyone's had a blessed week. It is a freaky Friday the 13th, and it has definitely been a little bit of an off day for me, but we're still here with the show tonight. Hope you guys have stayed free of those uh, Friday the 13th shenanigans as we like to call them. But pack show, could the Falcons possibly trade Kyle Pitts? Respecting Brock Purdy and giving him his flowers. The Broncos Chiefs recap from last night's Thursday night football game. Coaching hot seats that could already be present in the NFL after week five. And of course, we're picking every week six NFL game for the season and much more coming on the show. Again, y'all get in the chat, get in the comments, like the stream, share the stream, get at us on social media, all the things we do here to support the show. I love and appreciate y'all from the bottom of my heart. Want to show a little bit of gratitude here for a second. Officially got the email from YouTube to apply for the first level of the membership program so I can start making money from this. I've been doing this for four years. I'm on my third show, knowing that I've had the great to go on, but knowing that I've had the audience, you guys behind me to help me get here. Again, it's the first level of YouTube monetization. We'll now be able to have channel memberships, so you can be one-on-one with me. You can also drop special chats, special emojis into the chat. We can do super chats where you can donate directly to the chat, which will, of course, help me support the channel. You can support the channel through the membership and also bringing you the NFL with AJL merch from my specific YouTube shop and multiple other places as well. Just wanted to say thank y'all very much for everything you've done for me. Over 200,000 plays on one of our most recent TikToks. Over 200 followers from that. Over 650 of y'all of YouTube. 1,400 plus of you on Instagram. I could not be more grateful. This is my passion, my blood, my sweat, my tears. I want to do this multiple times a week for the rest of my life. And I could not do it without you guys. So I wanted to show a little bit of gratitude before we get into the packed episode 46 tonight. And let's jump right into it. As the Chiefs escape the Broncos for their third straight narrow win. Now, I understand it was on a short week. They win 18-9, to and, and this game was realistically a snooze fest kind of from both parts here, but let's start off with some, kind of some key plays from the teams and then get to our takeaways from this game as well. So, so, you know, I thought some of the play calling for Denver in this game was kind of odd. I'm looking at Sean Payton wondering what the hell he's doing on the sideline. You got a fourth and three scramble from Russell Wilson to be a turnover on downs. I thought that was horrible in the first quarter. The bad first interception from Russell Wilson as well. Clearly just a misread on what was happening with the offense. But overall for Denver, you got to feel good about holding Kansas City to three points until three minutes to go in the second quarter before this football game did unfold and end with the score of 18 to nine. Or was it 19 to eight? Excuse me. It was 19 to eight, not 18 to nine. Excuse me. I knew that score kind of. Kind of sounded weird there, but then you have the third and two rollout by Russell Wilson in the second quarter. I mean, what kind of play call is that? Realistically, what are we doing here? What kind of play call do you have Russell Wilson going to the right side of the field for? Going down in the backfield on the third and two. Definitely a head scratcher from Sean Payton. He had an awesome pass by Russell Wilson, of course, on that touchdown catch to Cortland Sutton, which might have been the best play of the night. But out of the key plays for Denver into 
kind of what Russ was walking into this football game. So you put Russ's and Mahomes numbers together. Russell Wilson coming into this game, 11 touchdowns, two picks, 106 QB rating, 1,210 yards, 67% completion, seven yards per attempt. Patrick Mahomes coming into this game, 10 touchdowns, four interceptions, 96 QB rating, 1,287 yards, 67% completion. And you also have 7.4 yards per attempt. So Russ beats him out in touchdowns, less interceptions, higher passer rating. But Mahomes comes in with more yards per game, more yards per attempt. Russ barely edging him out, technically 66.9% completion. Mahomes at 66.8%. But when you look at what Russell Wilson put up in this football game on Thursday night, he doesn't pass for 100 yards, just 57 passing yards before hitting Cartland Sutton on the 21-yard gain in the fourth quarter. 95 total yards in the game for Russell Wilson. Only 22 dropbacks in this game. 22 pass attempts, excuse me. 13 completed passes, one touchdown, two interceptions. He was sacked four times, and he had 37 yards at halftime. Travis Kelsey for the Kansas City Chiefs, 109 receiving yards at halftime. Kelsey had more receiving yards at at halftime than Russell Wilson did have passing yards going into halftime. And the offensive line did not help Denver in this game whatsoever. They rarely helped them. The the, the receiver core, very underwhelming. Not a lot of separation for these guys. You got Jerry Judy and Steve Smith Sr. kind of getting into it before the game, or Steve Smith wanting to approach him like a man. Jerry Judy not necessarily having it, and unfortunately, I think that kind of reflected on the field here for Denver. Three catches, 14 yards. Now, Cortland Sutton does come in, four catches, 46 yards, a really nice touchdown grab, the only touchdown grab of the night for the Broncos. Very difficult one as well. But the Broncos only had 197 total yards of offense in this game. There was no creativity. The offense looked very stale. And the biggest drive in the first half was 34 yards. It started rough in this game, really. You got a turnover on downs on the first drive, an interception on the second drive with Russell Wilson. And then a few drives later, you got a bad play call, with two minutes to go on the third and two. That was the rollout that I was talking about earlier. But the defense here wasn't the issue for Denver. The Broncos' defense entered this matchup. Coming in, it was an issue. But in this game, Denver's defense was not an issue. Denver coming into this game, they were the worst unit in the league. Through five weeks, they were last in points per allowed per game, yards allowed per game, yards per play, yards per rush, rushing yards allowed, points per drive, passing touchdowns, and three and out percentage. The defense can't get much worse than that. The Broncos also allowed a 77.3% completion percentage to opposing quarterbacks, which is the highest by a team, any team in the first five games of a season since at least 1940. So the Broncos were out here playing historically horrible, historically horrible defense walking into this football game. But you look at what they did defensively in this game against the Chiefs. They hold them to a field goal on the first possession. They intercept Mahomes on the second possession, and then they stuffed the tush push fake field goal that I thought was pretty interesting from Kansas City in this game. On the third possession, the 19 points that Kansas City scored in this game was the lowest they have scored all year. So you have to give credit to Denver's defense. But we have to ask the question now of, is Sean Payton kind of already not trusting Russell Wilson? Only 22 pass attempts in this football game for under 100 yards, 115 rushing yards in this game on only 23 carries. I'm just kind of wondering what kind of game plan is this for a Kansas City team that is in the tops of the league in yards per game defensively. They're second in the league defensively behind the Niners, the best team in football. The Kansas City Chiefs are second defensively in points per game behind them. So knowing you're going up against this Spags defense, this Steve Spagnola run defense with the Chiefs, why was this the type of game plan coming in? I mean, Russell Wilson just looked flat. The offense looked flat. They did not look very good. 
Sean Payton with some very questionable calls in this game as well. You got the timeout before halftime. You know Kansas City is supposed to call that timeout so they can make the Broncos punt the wall, ball away. Sean Payton owned up to that one in the presser. The third and two rollout in the second quarter, like I mentioned, Russ goes down in the backfield. And then when they turn it over on downs on the first fourth down that they went for, Russell Wilson going um, out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage. Now let's get over into what Kansas City was doing in this football game. We know we had the bad interception by Patrick Mahomes. I thought the fake field goal by Kansas City, like I just said earlier, the the brotherly shove, that, as we're calling it lately, thought that was a very nice play. Now, they didn't convert, and, and credit to Denver for being able to stop that. Shout out Harrison Butker, though. Big kick in this football game. Now just the seventh in NFL history to make multiple 60-yarders in their career. Nice third and 11 scramble in the third quarter with about four minutes to go. You saw Mahomes directing traffic, being able to scoot up the right sideline. And we know that Travis Kelsey has a big day. Nine catches, 124 yards, a 40-yarder. Pacheco was making plays. Rasheed Rice with a career day, seven catches, 72 yards. Kadarius Toney with the only touchdown for the Kansas City Chiefs in this football game. And this Spags defense is super legit. Despite them facing the 12th worst offense in points per game and the 14th worst offense in points per game now, Coming into the game, the Chiefs and Broncos were respectively 9 and 10th in total uh, terms of offensive points per game. So it you kind of thought it was going to be an offensive, maybe stalemate or good matchup for, for lack of better words. But the Chiefs are supporting, again, the fifth overall defense in yards this year, the second overall defense in points per game. And they did what they were supposed to do. They beat an underwhelming Broncos team. They came in, they handled business, and they made the Broncos offense look very, very stale. 16th straight win for Kansas City over Denver. Mahomes is now 12-0 and undefeated in his career against the Denver Broncos. And what's crazy is the Chiefs are not playing even close to their best football right now, offensively, and they still won five straight. And they're still 5-1 and one looking like Super Bowl contenders. I mean, you have to give them credit. You have to give the Chiefs credit for what they're doing. Not playing your best football, still being 5-1, and one, now on a five-game win streak after dropping the opener to the Detroit Lions, who are a real football team this year, by the way. Now, I still am concerned about them, though. Mahomes, he's been shaky with his turnovers the last three games, a lot of lazy throws, a lot of trusting his arm. We've seen a little bit of that of him, you know, from Mahomes over the kind of earlier parts of the year. We talk about his mechanics possibly falling off. He's just not playing like a top guy. I still think he's playing like a top guy in the league. They clearly need another offensive weapon, which maybe could clean up Mahomes trying to trust his arm too much because we know they're not working with a whole lot, but the coaching is what is keeping this team intact. So to know that the Chiefs are 5-1, five and one, five, five straight wins, and they're not playing their best football, Sean Payton the exact opposite, 1-5. I'm still standing on the hill of Sean Payton could potentially be gone by Thanksgiving. And I don't want to see that for me as a major Saints fan wanting to see big things happen for Sean Payton, but he's not coaching well. The offense is doing okay. The defense stepped up in the game last night, but realistically, the defense overall is the worst in the NFL. Broncos fans, Chiefs fans, get in the chat. Get in the comments. Let me know what you guys are thinking about this Thursday night football game as the Chiefs escape with a win, not 18-9, to like I said, but 19-8. to They move to 5-1, and and they're uh, still playing some shaky football right now. But there's speculation about the Falcons possibly trading Kyle Pitts this season. And as much as I wanted to jump on this as a Saints fan, hearing it from Falcons fans all the time, all through the season, as much as I didn't like the Kyle Pitts pick, as much as I dragged the Falcons for the way that they draft players, as much as I want to get into all that as a petty Saints fan, I'm actually going to give the Atlanta Falcons some slack on this one. We know what Kyle Pitts' rookie season was. 68 catches on 110 targets, little over 1,000 yards, which was, of course, the most tight end receiving yards ever by a rookie, 
15 yards per catch, but only one touchdown. So there was, you know, realistically no complaints for Kyle Pitts outside of really no end zone action. Kyle Pitts in 2022, he played 10 games. He tore his MCL surgery, put him out for the 2022 year, but he had 28 catches on 59 targets for 356 yards, two touchdowns. So per game, he was averaging three catches on six targets for 36 yards, 11.2 yards per catch on pace for a 51 catch for, a, uh, excuse me, 102 targets, 51 catches, 612 yards, anywhere from three to four touchdowns in 2022 last year when he went out with the injury. This year, so far, Kyle Pitts has 32 targets for 18 catches, 208 yards, 11.6 yards per game, yards per catch, excuse me, no touchdowns in five games. His per game average right now is four catches on six targets for 42 yards, 10 and a half yards per catch. He's on pace for 68 catches on 102 targets for 714 yards and no touchdowns. So when you look at his rookie year and you look at his third year, you can even weigh in his second year if you want to. This third year that is unfolding, yes, we know Kyle Pitts needs to be fed more, but I don't think this is a bad year outside of touchdowns for a guy that's coming off of an MCL injury, a guy that's quick, very agile, obviously a big-bodied guy, you know, good bit of weight on him in the NFL, one of the bigger players, even though he might look kind of slim on the field. We saw his, you know, uh, draft prospect profile coming in, and that's why the Falcons fell in love with him because of how big he was able to move at that size and still use that speed and still be very athletic. And all the hoopla right now, right, is Kyle Pitts has three career touchdowns. Sam Laporta was drafted this year and already has three touchdowns in five games. Devon A. Shane, who unfortunately just went on IR for the Dolphins, already has seven total touchdowns and was just drafted this year as a running back. And maybe we can have the conversation of running backs do get more touches and get more into the end zone more than tight ends, which is a given. But when you look at Devon A. Shane was the 84th overall pick in the NFL draft. Sam Laporta was drafted after Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is the highest drafted tight end ever. And with the way that the Falcons coach, with the way the Falcons have been the last couple of years and any sort of slip up or misuse, you're going to have these type of speculations and these type of rumors of if the Atlanta Falcons should actually trade Kyle Pitts this season, whether it's this season, next season, who knows what the case could be. We know Kyle Pitts isn't getting used like he should. But I'll tell you, I don't think Kyle Pitts is fully healthy. Arthur Smith has already told us a couple weeks back. He doesn't think that Kyle Pitts is fully healthy. Now, he does go out in the Texans game and have a very good football game, the best outing of the year. But we know that the coaching is also an issue with this team, with the usage of this team. The Falcons are a run first and a run second football team. That's exactly why they drafted B. John Robinson, which was another pick I did not really care for. But we know if we're talking about where could the Falcons trade Kyle Pitts, they, they could trade Kyle Pitts anywhere. I mean, what team in the NFL in the league would not like a guy like Kyle Pitts? I mean, anybody would take him. Name a team. They'll take him. The Chiefs would take him. The Bills might even take him and make him a wide receiver with, with, with Dalton uh, Kincaid being at the tight end position. I believe Kyle Pitts should be moved to a wide receiver position. He runs like it. He's built like it. And he can play like it. He lined up a lot in the slot at his Florida days. So I would love to see Kyle Pitts be a slot guy a lot more times than not. And maybe even permanently move to that wide receiver role. I know that might not be in the cards for him without other, for what other teams are seeing possibly in his skill set. But just from the eye test, I think Kyle Pitts could be a very good wide receiver one. Or if not, wide receiver two in this NFL. We know what Kyle Pitts was coming out of college. He was arguably the best player and the best receiver in the draft behind Trevor Lawrence and possibly Justin Fields, depending on how you feel about him. But we know the fifth-year option is also coming up for Kyle Pitts to be decided on after this year, and this applies more pressure to the Falcons. 
I do think the pa- the Falcons, excuse me, will pick up his fifth year option because overall he has played solid through the first three seasons. We know he went out with an injury in the second one, but he had a historic rookie season. So we have to give him that credit. I do think Atlanta will pick it up, but we could see him get moved for the right price at the right time, depending on what his usage is over the next, you know, 20 games or so. I still think Kyle Pitts should get the rest of this season and at least half of next season in order to prove himself or at least for Atlanta to prove that they can use him right before people actually start making legit calls on Kyle Pitts. Because with him being a fourth overall pick, Atlanta's going to want at least a first rounder for him, maybe two. I believe Pitts is worth that, but some teams could speculate that he's not, depending on how he's played so far in his NFL career. But I am going to give the Falcons some slack on Kyle Pitts' career so far. Some people say he's wasting away, he's rotting away. I don't believe that's the case. And again, y'all, I'm a petty Saints fan who hears it from Falcons fans all the time from everywhere. I hated the Kyle Pitts pick. I think they needed O-line much more in that season. I hated the Bijan Robinson pick. Go get a defensive lineman. I understand that they addressed it in free agency in the offseason, just like they addressed the offensive line the year that they picked Kyle Pitts it, later in the draft, in free agency, in, an offseason, in the offseason as well. But seeing what the Falcons have done so far for Kyle Pitts, it's going to make people question it. I mean, when you take him that high in the draft, people are going to wonder, where is the usage? Why is he not getting implemented correctly? We know Kyle Pitts can be used a lot better. There is no question about that. I think the Falcons should give him at least the rest of this year and at least half, if not all, of next year. I think they're going to pick up the fifth-year option, but before they realistically start fielding these calls, I think the Falcons deserve some slack for right now. And I know it's easy to want to dig into them because of the way players have been used in the past and the way that they've been drafted in the past and overall how they've played in the past with their coaching ever since the Super Bowl year. They just now, this season, got above 500 for the first time in years. Falcons fans, I want to hear from you in the chat and in the comments. Should Kyle Pitts get traded this year? Should the Falcons consider trading Kyle Pitts at all? How much more time do you think he needs? I thought this topic was interesting as we ended up getting uh, into it as the NFL season rolled along. I want to read some of y'all's comments here. 653. I didn't even realize that, baby. Thank you so much for commenting and letting me know. Y'all are crushing it for me on YouTube. And again, like from the bottom of my heart, guys. I cannot appreciate the support enough for what you guys are doing for me on the podcast. Only being back for a little over eight months and the the outpour and support is absolutely amazing. I think there's four NFL coaching seats that are already getting hot, maybe technically five, that are already getting hot as we're getting into week six of the NFL season. Off the top, Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael. I've made multiple videos about it. We know how Dennis Allen is not a good coach. We know that Pete Carmichael does not call an effective offense up until this point. For the New Orleans Saints. I get it. They have a three and two record, but after you drop two straight against the Packers and against the Bucks with that type of defensive and offensive performance, him and Pete's seat was getting very hot. I said it as a fan. Other people watching the sport were saying it. Conservative, defensive minded head coaches in this NF in the NFL do not win. And that's what Dennis Allen is. Pete Carmichael is conservative. We see how the offense is faring for the New Orleans Saints. Points per game, yards per game are in the bottom third of the league. When did we ever think we'd possibly say that with the talent that the Saints have? Of course, after Breeze and Peyton, people were expecting the downfall. I knew it was coming as well, but damn, did I did I really think that it would get like this? No, I absolutely did not. We're elite defensively. Great play calling from Dennis Allen. And and is it uh is it Joe Woods, I think, defensive coordinator? If I'm not mistaken. I want to say Joe Thomas, but I know that's not right. So I'm gonna stick with Joe Woods. 
We're elite defensively, but we are not elite offensively at all. This is the best defense the Saints have had in a decade. Plenty of offensive talent, but really minimal results up until the Pats game, and the Saints did what they were supposed to do. It was a 34-0 win over the worst roster in the NFL. Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are still on the hot seat despite that 34-0 win coming from a diehard Saints fan. Sub-500 career for Dennis Allen. The sample size of him continues to grow as a head coach, and I think after this year, he has to be out and we have to start pursuing others. Speaking of the former New Orleans Saints head coach and Sean Payton, we've talked about him quite a bit on the show this year as well, sporting the 1-5 and record, sporting a bottom three defense, if not the worst defense in the NFL walking into last night's game. And the horrible outing from Russell Wilson against the Chiefs is unfortunately just going to make Sean's seat even hotter. We know that the Broncos are stuck with Russ. The contract, when it plays out till, the dead cap, the money, every bit of it is ugly and unfortunately kind of disgusting for the Broncos and, and what the and the contract that they signed for Russell Wilson. And you hate to see it happen with Russell Wilson as well. Again, his numbers were comparable to Mahomes until he came in and stunk it up on a Thursday night football game. We see Sean Payton call out Nate Hackett earlier in the year, and his karma is all over him now. You're losing to your former head coach, your former defensive coordinator, your former ball boy, your former special teams coordinator, your former everybody. The Broncos sitting at one and five hold the second pick in the NFL draft. And I still believe that Sean Payton could because this is much more of a haul and a rebuild than Sean Payton realistically thought. Bill Belichick is also an NFL coach that can already be on the hot seat this year. We've, we've talked about it on the show also. Just made an Instagram reel about it. The league has moved past from Bill Belichick in recent years, and I think we've started to see that season over season, time and time again. Another defensive-minded head coach. Those guys do not fare well in the NFL. They do not last long, it feels like. If you're at the head coach position and you are defensive-minded, you're probably not going to score a lot of points in this league. You're probably not going to be super competing later in the postseason, actually being in the Super Bowl. And I've got all the respect for Bill Belichick. He's arguably the greatest coach of all time. Coming into the year, he was 18 wins shy of Don Shula for being the winningest head coach of all time. So Bill knows that his legacy rides on this. Bill knows that maybe in just a couple more years, he can be the winningest coach ever and step away from the game but they can't draft talent offensively or even keep talent offensively. They're running the worst offense in the NFL right now. And you get into the advanced stats. It's even worse there. It'll probably take a while for Bill to go, though, because we know he drafted Tom Brady. We know what Brady is. Took them to nine Super Bowls, won six of them. So Bill Belichick's resume is very hefty. No question about that. But the league is passing Bill Belichick by, and I think the Patriots can only sit here and reminisce on the pass for so long before they realize they have to blow it up and tear it down to the studs. And the last NFL coach that is going to be on my hot seat walking into week six of the NFL season is Matt Eberflew. He's on pace for a bottom three defense, the worst O-line, the worst record, and by the numbers, surprisingly, the offense is 14th in yards per game and 11th in points per game. I mean, wow. I did not expect that from the Bears after the way they've been playing over these last few weeks to have an offense like that. But again, when you're on pace for a bottom three defense, bottom three O-line, bottom three record, and you're playing football the way that you are, blowing leads the way that you are, it's not pretty for you as a head coach. Another defensive-minded head coach. Clearly not cut out to be a head coach in this league. And Justin Fields is suffering from it. The Chicago Bears are suffering from it. So I've got Matt Eberflew, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, and then Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael all on the hot seat as we exit week five of the NFL slide into week six of the NFL season. I want to hear from y'all in the chat and in the comments. 
Let me know how you're feeling about the NFL head coaching hot seat so far. The Falcons trading Kyle Pitts, like I just mentioned as well. And the Thursday night football game from Broncos and Chiefs. Yeah. Got to get the water on the show. I want to talk about this because I saw the news break on X, formerly known as Twitter, middle to late last week. Will the Arizona Cardinals actually move off of Kyler Murray after this season? NFL executives really believe so, and I kind of can't blame them. The team is 1-4 right now. Kyler Murray, unfortunately, has never been able to stay healthy as a pro for an entire season, which really does suck because I love Kyler Murray. He's an insane athlete. He's just unfortunately small. But if he had the bigger size, I think we're talking about him as a Josh Allen-esque, but you know, quicker type of player. Of course, Josh Allen is a better quarterback overall, but I think you guys know what I mean in terms of just kind of play style there. We know he played all 16 games as a rookie in 2019. He missed one game in 2020. He missed three regular season games in 2021. Missed six games last season. Of course, he ended it with a torn ACL and now playing no games this year because he's recovering from the injury. He was the fifth most sacked quarterback his rookie year, the 12th best offensive line in terms of sacks the next year, his sophomore year in 2020. Middle of the pack in 2021, so getting a little worse technically and then taking a plummet back down to the bottom 10 and was the ninth most sacked quarterback last year, the year that he tore his ACL. And when you look at the Cardinals, they currently currently have the seventh and the ninth overall pick in the NFL draft. And we know how loaded this draft is with quarterbacks and they need talent everywhere. I mean, the Cardinals have one of the worst rosters in the league as well. And if we see a fire sale at some point this year for the trade deadline coming up in just a couple of weeks, we could see the Cardinals really exercising that seventh and ninth pick. And we know what Kyler is as a quarterback as well when he's healthy. He can make any throw. He is shifty as Lamar Jackson. He's highly accurate, 67% completion. But a two-to-one touchdown to interception ratio, ratio, having trouble reading defenses, not staying healthy for the entirety of a year, and then study clauses being in your contract, which I'm not going to speculate on that. We know it got taken out. It isn't something you like to see from a guy that you paid five years, $230 million guaranteed, $30 million signing bonus, and how much, not, excuse me, not 230 million guaranteed, five years, 230 million, making 46 million a year. Where's his guaranteed? He had 103 guaranteed at signing and about 160, 159.797 technically guaranteed. So we'll just say 160 million. But guys, I mean, I love Kyler Murray as a player. I do. He was one of my favorite players He is one of my favorite players still in the league, even though he's not playing. He was one of my favorite players coming into the draft. Heisman winner at Oklahoma. I love just about everything from Kyler Murray's game, except the fact that he's a smaller quarterback. We saw him be in the MVP conversation. We saw him have a 7-0 team until they fall off and really, you know, the wheels just go rolling off the bus down the back half of uh, of the season down the stretch. And then they unfortunately get blown out by the Rams in the playoffs, which was absolutely ugly. I don't even want to remember that as Kyler Murray's, you know, first playoff game and first playoff loss. But Kyler also has had Cliff Kingsbury and now Jonathan Gannon. He hasn't had some of the best rosters to work with. Now, he has had more than some quarterbacks in this league, no doubt. But the landing wasn't the greatest. There's, you know, it's clear that Arizona picked number one overall in back-to-back seasons for a reason. They literally move off Josh Rosen to go get Kyler Murray. But we have to ask, who would actually take on Kyler Murray's contract right now, given his production and given his health? Again, Kyler Murray signed five years, $230.5 million, $29 million in signing, $160 guaranteed. And you look, 
2022, Kyler's contract was not very large. Obviously, they signed him coming into the 2023 year, or excuse me. Now, they signed him going into the, the 2021 season, didn't they? Yeah. Let me, or excuse me, going into the 2022 season. So let me not sit there and get confused on that. But it sucks because you pay him the big money and people don't ever want to see an elite player like that when he's healthy and playing at his peak. He's elite. They don't want to see an elite player like that go down, especially to a non-contact injury in the form of an ACL. But in 2023, Kyler's contract, uh, let me look here. So 16 million cap hit next year in 2024 is when it gets insane. And here's the reason that they could possibly move on. In 2024, his cap hit is $51 million, jumping up from 16 million this year in 2023. In 2025, the cap hit drops to 45. In 2026, it jumps back up to 55. And then in 2027, when he's 30 years old, he will be making 43 million a year. So there's a potential out after six years in 2028. They'll have paid him 220 million just short of it, and there will be no dead cap. So that's their potential out in this. But what player, excuse me, what team in their right mind would trade for Kyler Murray with a $51 million cap hit in 24, with a $45 million cap hit in 25, and with a $55 million cap hit in 26. His contract is cheap this year. It's kind of lucky he's not playing. Only a $16 million cap hit. Only $2 million in the base salary. The base salary is huge next year at 37. We know that the NFL and the contracts can get the numbers moved around however they need to, but at the end of the day, they're still paying him all that money. And I don't know if any team in their right mind would possibly pick that up from the Cardinals and actually make that trade for Kyler Murray if they do move off of him. I would love to see Kyler still stay, get that you know respect that I think he still needs from people around the league, but he's got to show us that he's healthy. Steve, what's up, man? Too many young quarterbacks getting paid and then lays eggs. Yeah, we saw it in week one of this year. Burrow, Lamar, uh, and it was bad. Um, God, I'm trying to think of the other quarterbacks. Burrow, Lamar, Herbert, Jalen, none of them really played well in week one. Of course, they started to pick it up as the weeks go on. But, you know, it is unfortunate. It's very unfortunate to know that they could move off of Kyler Murray. But when you're possibly looking at a Caleb Williams, when, or not even possibly, because when you do have Caleb Williams in your sight when you're one and four, or if you don't get the number one overall pick, it could go to the Bears. If they do move off Kyler, they have to take a quarterback. No question about it. It can't be an O-lineman. It can't be a wide receiver. It can't be anybody else. I don't want the Cardinals to move off of Kyler Murray, but if they did, I would understand why, because he does not stay healthy later on in the season. And that's something that Kyler has to get better at. And we knew coming out of college, smaller size, might not be the best for durability. And that is unfortunately rearing its ugly head already in the NFL. So will the Kyler, uh, excuse me, will the Cardinals move off of Kyler Murray after this season? And realistically, if they did, given Kyler's production and health, who would actually take on Kyler Murray's contract. I want y'all to get in the chat, get in the comments. Let me know what you're feeling about this potential move from the Arizona Cardinals moving off of Kyler Murray. This has been episode 46 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody tuning in on a Friday night. You could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're right here with me tapped in on the show. Y'all please make sure to like the stream, share the stream, wherever you may be watching, subscribe on YouTube, please. And thank you at the NFL with AJL on all social media and podcast platforms. Hashtag the NFL with AJL on all social platforms to see every post from the account. Of course, as always, the QR code in the corner of the screen will give you the one-stop shop for everything that the show produces and puts out for you guys on social media. And as always, we're sponsored by Buy and Sell. 
with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs, whether you're looking to buy a home, sell a home, or invest in real estate. Make sure to get at them on social media, at buy and sell with AJL. DM them, drop your name in the comments, and your email if you want to get on their exclusive real estate newsletter to stay ahead of the daunting media headlines about real estate in 2023 and for the years to come. And if you want to take advantage of their AI that they just implemented into the business not long ago, It'll give buyers and sellers true hyper-local information on a specific property and a lot of things you would need to know in order to make your calculated real estate move. Buy and sell with AJL for all your worldwide professional real estate needs, turning clients into family by prioritizing people over transactions. We're going to take a short break here on episode 46, and we'll be right back in here soon. into the NFL with AJL episode 46. Y'all please make sure to like and share the stream wherever you may be watching. Subscribe for us on YouTube. Get at us on all social media and podcast platforms. Could the New Orleans Saints have possibly made a franchise-altering move? As much as I hate to say that. Could the New Orleans Saints have potentially missed out on Caleb Williams or a top 10 pick? Let me explain this highly speculated news that is now starting to come back around as Denver does horrible and as the Saints could have possibly gotten in on another trade package for Sean Payton. So back when the Sean Payton trade happened, right before I brought the podcast back out for the NFL with AJL, Late January, Sean Payton gets traded over to the Denver Broncos, and we had heard about it all year. This is what Sean Payton potentially wanted to do, and Sean Payton had went over to the Denver Broncos, traded by the New Orleans Saints. So they were apparently discussing two potential trade packages for Sean Payton, the one that the Saints took, Denver's 2023 first-round pick, which we took this year, 29th overall, take Brian Brissy, and next year's second-round pick in 2024. So we give up Sean Payton for a first, and we give up a 2024 third-rounder, to take a this year's second round, or excuse me, a 2024 second round pick. So it seemed like a fair trade. But apparently, there was a second trade option that the New Orleans Saints could have taken. Denver's 2024 first round pick, and the year that just passed, the 2023 NFL draft, that year's fourth round pick for Denver. And it was the New Orleans Saints choice. 
Now, again, this is highly speculated news because Adam Schefter deleted the tweet moments after it was posted, apparently. So it's likely that the news was false. Of course, Schefter been in the game for a while. We know Shefty wants to keep his credibility as high as possible. And I respect him as a reporter day in and day out. He's one of the first on almost everything. But it's clear that the New Orleans Saints, if this was a thing, and if they did not take the secondary trade package, it's clear that the Saints thought Sean Payton was going to absolutely ball out in Denver in 2023, giving them a lower 2024 first-round pick and giving them a fourth rounder instead of a second round pick. So there's kind of a decent gap there from a second rounder to a fourth rounder. You can still make your hay all the way until the seventh round and undrafted. We've seen that multiple times in this league, but you want to take your draft stock and your draft capital when you can get it. So they essentially took a guaranteed 29th overall pick for their head coach, which is unheard of for a head coach getting a pick at all, let alone a first round pick and a third round pick to gain a second rounder in the NFL draft. But right now, Denver's playing horribly, one and five record. Sean Payton stinking it up over there. Denver holds the second overall pick and is in contention for the first overall pick in the NFL draft. In contention for the first overall pick in the draft, and the New Orleans Saints could have possibly had that. Of course, the Saints had major respect for their franchise altering and just downright savior of a coach in Sean Payton, and they figured he based on the trade package that they possibly didn't take. Again, speculation, but it has to be talked about. Considering that they thought he could have had a top three record in the NFL, really worse than the 29th overall pick in 2023. And I know it's possibly not true. I absolutely get all that. But it's resurfacing for a reason, and fans wonder, what I wonder, what could this have looked like if it was possibly true? I mean, realistically. If the Saints would have taken the 2024 first-round pick from the Denver Broncos, right now they'd be guaranteed the second pick in the draft. And who knows where they could go with that. I know where they would go with that. It would be a quarterback, no question, at least I hope. We know the Saints haven't taken a first-round quarterback since Archie Manning. But what could this have looked like if it was true? Could it have been a Caleb Williams, a Michael Penix, a Bo Nix, offensive lineman, defensive lineman? Because the New Orleans Saints need help in the trenches. And we know Derek Carr is not the franchise guy for long-term. He's a bridge, and we need trench help big time. I've got respect for Derek Carr. I love what Derek Carr is doing with the Saints. Don't love it. I like it. I want it to be better, and I think he can get to another level, but I have respect for what Derek Carr is doing in New Orleans right now. I'm going to support my quarterback. But all Saints fans can do is hope and pray that this was fake news, that it was very high speculation, because it's kind of a love-hate relationship for Sean Payton right now, right? Like, we see him leave, we hear him talk about the heart's not in anymore, the BS comments, but as Saints fans, knowing what he did for us, we hope that he goes to Denver and has a great year. We absolutely hope that we can, in a way, at least me, watch Sean Payton be successful with another team and maybe win a second Super Bowl like we failed to give him, or maybe like he failed to coach us to, however you want to look at it. But also, you have to hope that the Saints were the right system for him. The franchise was the right place for him to be, knowing that he didn't want the job and still emerging and coaching the way that he did. You kind of have to hope with the Broncos, not in a rude way, but that he wouldn't have a high level of success so the Saints could know, ah, we got the best out of Sean Payton's years. We got the best Sean Payton and the Sean Payton that everybody came to know and love when he was here in New Orleans for us taking us to three NFC title games, winning us a Super Bowl, the one and only appearance we've ever had to go. This was just making my head 
absolutely spin, though. Shout out Michael Darby, one of my great friends. We're going to the Jags-Saints game next Thursday in New Orleans. First Thursday night football game. First nighttime football game as well. So I'm very, very pumped to be there for a primetime game. He brought this up to me. There's a post on Twitter, or excuse me, on Reddit, talking about could this have been a New Orleans Saints franchise-altering move? I'm just going to hope that it's fake. I'm going to hope that it wasn't real news and Shefty deleted it for a reason. But it's clear that the Saints had respect for Sean Payton. If this was true, they thought he was going to ball out in 2023, giving a 2024 bottom three pick. The Saints already had the fourth two last pick in the NFL draft. I think the 32nd pick was forfeited, so we just had 31 picks in there. So the third to worst pick or third to last pick, excuse me, in the first round of the NFL draft, I stand corrected. All Saints fans can do, all I can do as a diehard is hope and pray that this was fake news. Because if we did miss out on a Caleb Williams or a Bo Nix, this is the most loaded quarterback draft class we've had since a couple years ago. And one of the most loaded we've had in a very long time. Saints fans, I got to hear from you down in the comments. Houdat Nation, viewers of the Houdat Corner, get in the comments. Please get in the chat. Let me know what you guys are thinking about this potential New Orleans Saints move. Because all we can do is hope and pray that the news was absolutely fake. But what's not fake is Brock Purdy's performance so far in his NFL career. And I am here to present Brock Purdy with a bouquet of flowers like he so rightfully deserves. Because in Brock Purdy's career, he is 13-1 and as a starter. His only loss is to the Eagles in the playoffs, and we know how he had to come back in with a broken elbow and wield his team to a loss, unfortunately, because there was nothing else left in the tank for San Francisco at that moment. In his career, he's got 69% completion, 2,645 passing yards, 22 touchdowns to four interceptions. He's only been sacked 19 times in his career and has 114 passer rating. He's literally getting sacked one time a game. I think the math was about 1.35. So Brock Purdy is constantly protected. He's constantly upright. He's behind a very solid O-line. Trent Williams is a first ballot Hall of Famer. The moment he steps out of the league, once he gets into his eligibility, he is a very blessed man, Brock Purdy, to play for the San Francisco 49ers. This year, 72% completion, 1,271 yards, nine touchdowns, no interceptions, 123 passer rating on the season. Let's not sit here like we have for a couple of seasons now. I wasn't podcasting when Brock Purdy first came onto the scene, but I was still watching the game very closely, formulating everything for the NFL with AJL, and we came out in February. But I was not actively producing content when Brock Purdy was playing or originally got into playing because of Jimmy G going down with the injury. But let's not discount what Brock Purdy's done. Yes, he might not be the best athlete, but he moves around better than Jimmy G, and he can move in the pocket, and he can make a lot of throws. He might manage the game to an expert level, but it is winning him ball games, and that's what matters. We all want to praise Patrick Mahomes for his 80 wins, 20 losses record. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes has an 80% win percentage through his first 100 games in his career. And Brock Purdy could be trending towards that. Hell, if not better, starting 13-1 and one in his career. I'm here to give Brock Purdy his flowers because he absolutely deserves it. Let's not discount what he's done. Let's not discount where he landed. Let's not forget the fact that he was the last player in the draft. How can you not like Brock Purdy? 
dead last pick in the draft, playing super unlike he did at Ohio State. Then he's filling into a Niners team perfectly, who is right in the middle of their Super Bowl window. And they were right in the middle of their Super Bowl window the moment that he was asked to jump in and produce. And he did it at a high level, and he's been doing it at a high level. And just because it doesn't look like a Jalen Hurts or a Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Trevor Lawrence doesn't mean that you can't give him his credit. I'm not going to sit here and say that Brock Purdy is elite. I'm not even going to sit here and say, no, I'll take that back. Brock Purdy is very good because 69% completion, 22 touchdowns and four picks and a 13 and one record in your NFL career, no matter your setup is very good. I'm not going to say elite because I don't think he could overcome instability. And I'm just being real about Brock Purdy here. If things weren't lined up the way that they were in San Francisco, of course, we're having a different conversation about Brock Purdy. But we've all said, Y'all remember that 2021 loaded quarterback draft class? Oh, any of these guys would be lucky to go to San Francisco because of Shanahan, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel. Now he's got Christian McCaffrey making him super comfortable. We know the offensive line. We know the defense. We know the coaching. We know the front office that San Francisco presents. So who wouldn't want to go play in San Francisco, especially at quarterback? It was literally a match made in heaven for Brock Purdy. The way that they draft, the players that he walked into, the franchise that he walked into. And I've just kind of taken a back stance or, you know, been on the back burner, kind of a stepping off to the side on my stance on Brock Purdy. Not good, not bad. I just didn't really have a take on him, but I know he's winning ball games, and I know he's the quarterback for the best team in the NFL right now and the team that's more than likely going to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl and will probably win the Super Bowl this year as of right now and up until the point of how they're playing. Brock Purdy is lights out. I get it. It's 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 not super sexy. And I feel like when Jimmy G came in and was only having a pass for eight or nine times in a championship game and under 50 times in a total playoff run and route to a Super Bowl loss, that kind of messed with all of us. Like, had we really seen a quarterback kind of just manage his way in a good way all the way to a Super Bowl like that, like outside of Brady? Brady wasn't a game manager. He could overcome adversity. He can make big plays when he needed to. We saw the same with Russell Wilson. We saw the same with Patrick Mahomes. But knowing that Brock Purdy is doing it at a high level, despite of where he's at, you have to give him credit for it. You can't take it away from him because he's doing great things with the tools that he was given. Because again, anybody would love to go to San Francisco. Anybody would love to go to San Francisco and play quarterback especially when they had picked Brock Purdy. And even within the last few drafts, everyone talks about how great and prime of a destination that San Francisco is. I know it's unconventional. I know it's not type A, mainstream, super big highlights, but he's doing what he's asked. He's not turning the ball over and he's winning football games. And he's accurate and makes good decisions. What more could you ask out of a dead last pick on your team that's not even making a million dollars a year yet. And I can't wait to see when Brock Purdy does get his bag. It might not be massive, but if he gets 40, 40 million over four years, 160 million total, I'm cool with that. That's a Daniel Jones type of contract. That's a Derek Carr type of contract. And Brock Purdy is currently playing better than both of those quarterbacks. I get it. He's only 14 starts into his career. Totally get that. I get it. He's only been sacked 19 times. It's very rare to say that a quarterback's only been sacked that many times. But I'm not going to sit here sit here, and down Brock Purdy for his successes when he deserves all the praise, all the flowers, and he is the QB1 of the best quarterback 
in the NFL currently. I want to know how y'all feel about Brock Purdy. Steve, I see all of your comments here. I'm going to go ahead and read them, and then we're going to get into the week six picks for the NFL season. Look at this little expeditious show here. Proud of myself. I know we didn't have a lot of topics at all. The bigger shows of the week are usually when we talk about the games on Tuesday because we're dissecting all of the NFL. I'm thinking Derek Carr can take the Saints to the playoffs in the next four or five years. Uh, Steve, I'll be honest, man. I hope he's not here past next year. Not in a rude way. Because again, I like what Derek Carr is doing. I believe we are at a better stance with him than an Andy Dalton, than a Jameis Winston, not by a whole lot, but just strictly athleticism and experience and better decision-making than I think the other two quarterbacks. Maybe Andy's a little bit better, but Derek Carr's not going to get us to the promised land. He's not going to get us to a Super Bowl. We'd be lucky to sniff an NFC championship with him because we have a sample size of what Carr is. And if we think that the coaching of New Orleans is going to elevate him to another type of player, I'd love to see it, but I'm here to break the news to you, man. I don't think that is going to be the case I'd love for the Saints to trade and get a quarterback at some point I understand that we just locked him up for the money that we did I wasn't happy about that and we do have to deal with it for the next few years but the next four or five I don't know if I can slide with that man I would take Carr over Cousins and most quarterbacks whoa wow I could I would take Derek or excuse me I would take Kirk Cousins over Derek Carr I think I could think of probably 13 to 15 quarterbacks I take over Derek Carr. I mean, hell, let, let me let me uh let me hold you on that real quick. So, um I'd take two over Carr. I would take Josh Allen over Carr. I would take when Aaron Rodgers comes back over Carr. I would take of course Mahomes, Herbert. Um I would take Carr over Jimmy G and Aiden O'Connell. With the way Russ is playing this year, I'd probably take a slight edge to Russ. I'd take Carr over Pickett, but I wouldn't take Carr over Lamar. I wouldn't take Carr over Deshaun. I wouldn't take Carr over Burrow. I wouldn't take Carr over Trevor Lawrence. I wouldn't take him over C.J. Stroud. I wouldn't take him over even Anthony Richardson. When he's healthy, let's go into the NFC. I wouldn't take him over Jalen Hurts. Maybe over Dak. I feel like Dak, Carr, and Cousins are all kind of the same. One wears a star, one plays for the Vikings, and obviously one plays for the Saints. Um, I would take Carr over Sam Howell. I would take Carr over Daniel Jones. I'm not taking him over Purdy, probably not taking him over Geno Smith, probably not taking him over Matt Stafford. And uh, if Kyler was healthy, I wouldn't take Carr over Kyler either. I'm taking Goff over him. I'm not taking Jordan Love over him. Kirk and Carr is a wash. I wish Justin Fields was performing to the level so that I could take him over Derek Carr. Damn, as of this season, I might take Baker over Carr, but I'm not taking Carr, or, um, but I'll take Carr over Bryce Young, and I'll also take Carr probably over Desmond Ritter. So as you can see right there, man, there's quite a bit of, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL that I'm going to take Derek Carr over. And I mean, he's just a above average, but most of all lackluster quarterback over the last, you know, the, the span of his career. And I'm not here to talk bad about any player. That's just the facts and, and what he's showing me with the new Orleans saints right now. Yeah. Purdy's playing great. He's been really accurate. No question about it. Got to have respect for what Brock Purdy's doing. I hope San Francisco loses though. I'd like to hear from you. Why on that? Don't be a San Fran hater, man. I know they came back onto the scene after having a couple of down years and Jimmy G and Kyle Shanahan and Richard Sherman were making things happen. But I, I, I don't hope San Fran loses. I mean, I guess I could hope they lose so my Saints could take their spot, but I know that's not a, not a realistic thing. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get into week six of the NFL picks here on the NFL with AJL. I know I missed the last few weeks, but weeks three, four, and five, I went and combined 20 and 10 in total. So I am 51 and 27 on the season with a 65% pick completion uh, percentage. Denver and Kansas City. I would have taken Kansas City in this game, 
think everybody took Kansas City in this game. They're clearly the better team, better quarterback, better coach, better defense, better offense, maybe not by much compared to the numbers, but the eye test shows you that Kansas City was the better football team. They're not even playing their best football right now, and they came in and won. We got Baltimore at Tennessee in London. I'm going to take Baltimore in this game. I believe Tennessee is missing a couple of players that they would like to have, or excuse me, not Tennessee. I'm thinking about the wrong team, but overall the Ravens are a better team than the Titans. I like the Ravens better than the Titans, better quarterback, better coach, better offense. They might be comparable defensively, but I think even on the best day, the Ravens are the better team overall and defensively. So I'll take the Baltimore Ravens. I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins over the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are the only defeated team in the NFL at 0-5. Absolute goose egg in the win column. And the Dolphins are overall just a better football team. They're here at home. The Panthers' defense could possibly give them a run for their money, so maybe we see a little bit of a surprising game where the Dolphins aren't coming back down to earth, but they are possibly getting into a stalemate like they were with the with the Patriots. This could be a 24-17 win, 24-10 win for the Miami Dolphins, but I will take the Dolphins comfortably here. Saints at Texans. Of course, you know, I'm never going to pick against my New Orleans Saints. Now, I was thinking that they could lose to the Houston Texans because of how great CJ is playing. But I think that this New Orleans Saints top five defense in the NFL, allowing the lowest passer rating from any quarterback or excuse me, the lowest passer rating overall in the league. I think that's going to be problems for CJ Stroud. Tank Dell and uh, Robert Woods are also questionable in this game. Two very good targets for CJ Stroud. Uh, So I'm going to take the New Orleans Saints here with the win on the road. Probably will be a close one, though. I'm also going to take the Atlanta Falcons against the Washington Commanders. Washington has now had multiple, uh, excuse me, three straight games of giving up over 30-plus points. We know that the Falcons' offense can be better. We know that Kyle Pitts was getting misused, like we said earlier in the season. Desmond Ritter being there at the quarterback position isn't the most uh, um, great thing that you want to see for this NFL team. We know that the Falcons aren't necessarily all in on Desmond Ritter, and he's going to be going up against Sam Howell, who has an Eric Bieniemy at his disposal, who has a Logan Thomas, who has a Terry McLaurin, who has a Brian Robinson. So the commanders could come in and have an upset, but I trust the Atlanta Falcons at home, potentially a shootout, but also with the way the commanders give up points, it could be a one where the commanders get blown out. But if that commander's defense, which we know is there, it hasn't played up to their level, does come around, this could be a commander's upset. I will take the Falcons, though. As much as this pick feels like it might be wrong, you got the Colts at the Jaguars. I am going, being a Rams fan for almost 60 years is a good reason why I can't stand San Francisco. Yeah, I feel that. That uh, that hatred runs deep, don't it, my friend? I'm going to take the Colts in this football game against the Jaguars. I'm high on the Colts right now. I know they're going to miss Anthony Richardson for the next four to six weeks, but the way Shane Steichen is coaching, Jonathan Taylor is back. They're going to have a better game plan for him. Zach Moss just absolutely went off and the other offensive pieces that are there with that team. Defensively, they do need to be better, and we know that it kind of feels like the Jags just turned a corner beating the Bills. I think the Bills are a little more fraudulent than everyone likes to admit. We know the Jags haven't clicked on all cylinders yet, but something is telling me that the Colts, after losing in the season opener with Anthony Richardson, 31-21, to they're going to come in here, have the upset on the road, taking the Colts over the Jags. Bengals and Seahawks, I think, could be an interesting game as well. Could be possibly closer than we think. Bengals are at home, though, hoping that Joe Burrow is more and more healthy, continuing to get healthy as the season goes along. The Cincinnati Bengals being at home in this game feels like it does give them the advantage. We see Jamar Chase just have the record day 
And I just think the Bengals are overall the better football team here. Now, the Seahawks can come in this game. They can be scrappy. They can fight. They can take it down to the wire. If the Bengals lose this game, in a way, I'm not shocked because of how the NFL season is playing out so far. But I will take the Bengals in this one. Vikings at Bears, the battle of one-win teams, the battle of one and four NFL teams. Bears are at home. I think the Vikings overall are the better football team here, no doubt. They have the better quarterback, as much as that pains me to say, because I love Justin Fields. They have the better coach, no doubt. The Bears uh, sporting one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I think it's an easy pick here to take the Vikings in this one. The San Francisco 49ers could potentially roll the Browns, as the Browns did get rolled by the Ravens without Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson also ruled out in this game against the best team in the NFL and the Niners. I think it'll be a comfortable victory here. I'm going to take the Raiders against the Patriots as well. The Patriots are a very banged up football team. Super unfortunate for them. Might not be a battle of much to see here, but I do think overall, which is crazy to say at this point in the year, that the Raiders are a better football team than the New England Patriots. The Patriots have no offense. They have a coach that the game has moved past. They have Mac Jones, who's been benched in back-to-back weeks, and they're losing 72-3 to in their last two football games. And I think it's not going to be another blowout here. But the Raiders will win this football game, no question. Bucks and Lions. I think this is going to be a sneaky good football game as well. As much as I want to take the Lions because they are for real, Jared Goff is playing well, the offense is great. The Lions are going to be missing Brian Branch. The Lions are going to be missing Jameer Gibbs, which might not seem like much of a loss for them because we know that the Lions have not used Jameer Gibbs as much as they should. And a lot of people want to see Jameer Gibbs, especially the fantasy owners, be used a lot better. But with the Lions missing a good bit of players, and more players being questionable. The Bucs are almost completely that defense, still with some of that offensive talent. Baker Mayfield playing well at the helm. I'm taking the Bucs in this football game. The Rams and the Cardinals. Rams are at home. I think the Rams comfortably win this football game without question. I don't think it's a problem for them to go in and win. Now, the Cardinals could play tough and scrappy because we saw what they did against the Cowboys. We've seen the Cardinals be competitive in a couple of other games this year. But Sean McVay, the way he's coaching so far, you got to respect it. Stafford playing at a good level. The young players that Sean's able to build around. And just a true testament, just like Shane Steichen with India, of what coaching can actually do for you. I'm going to take the Rams here in this football game. Eagles and Jets. Could this be a lot like Chiefs and Jets from just a couple weeks back? I really think it could be because the Eagles have no Jalen Carter, no Darius Slay. But the Jets also have no Elijah Vera Tucker, who's out for the year, and Sauce Gardner is questionable for New York. Eagles and Jets, I think, will be a good game. I do think it could be one of those 28-21 type of games if Zach Wilson comes in just playing decent. With the better team, ball team, and I'm going to take them for the win here. The Bills, I think, will roll the Giants. I also thought the Bills could roll the Jaguars as well because of the way that they have rolled previous teams. But the Giants don't have Daniel Jones, and the Giants don't have Andrew Thomas. If the Bills find a way to lose this football game without those two players being active for the New York Giants, I think we can officially call the Buffalo Bills frauds. Bills should win this one easily. And the last game of NFL Week 6, we've got Monday Night Football the Kellen Moore revenge game. Cowboys at Chargers. I think the Chargers are going to win this football game without question. Now, we know if the Cowboys defense doesn't click on all cylinders and it's not able to force turnovers, it could be a very poor offense. We've seen that time and time again in the season. But I think with the Chargers being at home, 
I like Herbert over Dak. I like this Chargers team. Not over the Cowboys because the Cowboys have an insane roster, but we're starting to see cracks in the armor. If there really was any armor, we're starting to see some faults in their game. And with it being a Kellen Moore revenge game, I'm going to 100% take the Chargers in this football game. So picks on the week, I've got Kansas City, Baltimore, Atlanta, Minnesota, Cincinnati. Steve, by the way, I'm glad that you ran on this. I know you love seeing the picks and you've commented on a couple of the pick videos. Uh, Cincinnati, San Francisco, Miami, Tampa Bay, Indianapolis, New Orleans, Las Vegas, the Rams, the Eagles, the Bills, and the Los Angeles Chargers. That was episode 46 of the NFL with AJL. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and get out of here. I hope the outro music is playing. It was being a little weird last show. Seems like the stream might be being weird again at the end of this one, but that was episode 46 of the NFL with AJL. I appreciate everybody tapping into the show tonight for episode 46. Before you get out of here, please make sure to like the stream, subscribe on YouTube, share the stream wherever you're at with someone who might love the show, someone who loves the NFL, someone who just loves podcasts in general. Please make sure you subscribe on YouTube as well. Again, I want to give y'all immense gratitude from the bottom of my heart, my blood, sweat, tears, early mornings, late nights, weekends, go into the show, hours of highlights, hours of film, hours of research and article reading. And you guys are the ones pushing me to the top. You guys are the ones supporting my content. I'm officially going to be entering that first level of YouTube monetization. So get ready for channel memberships, uh, super chats, and also being able to purchase the NFL with AJL merch directly from my YouTube shop and in other places as well. Of course, the QR code in the corner of the screen will give you every bit of social media and podcast content. I hate that we got the most viewers, six viewers, as we're about to get out of here on the show tonight, but we talked to Falcons trading Kyle Pitts. We picked every NFL week six game. We talked to New Orleans Saints possibly having a franchise altering decision, giving Brock Purdy his flowers and so much more at the NFL with AJL on all social platforms and podcast platforms. Hashtag the NFL with AJL to find all of our content everywhere as well. Do not forget the QR code. We'll be back with episode 47 on Tuesday. As always, I love you, I need you, and I will see you in episode 47.